Hello again. So now I'm talking to Maury Golden, who is a senior research fellow at the University of Nottingham. So hi, Maury. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Can you hear that on a podcast? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're together kind of virtually, aren't we? We're doing this over Skype. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. It, can, it can be a virtual chat show. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks for talking to me um, and um, taking the time out. Um, so, as a, by way of a, a very brief introduction, um, Murray's been doing some work with um, a few colleagues um, looking at uh, interpersonal data, mostly, I think, and some really interesting, doing some really interesting research, um, both kind of uh, talking to people about their, about their data uh, is part of it, and um, bringing up some issues uh, around kind of privacy and I think around kind of um, uh, identity to some extent and using some mm-hmm. really interesting digital um, methods and also applying some really interesting theory which would be interesting to talk about uh, particularly using uh, Georg Zimmel and uh, Irving Goffman um, so maybe we can talk about some of those issues uh, today. Yeah, um, yeah, sounds good. Great, um, so um, you've been working on uh, as part of uh, the Horizon uh, Centre at the University of Nottingham, is that right? Yes, uh, yeah. the Horizon uh, Digital Economy Research Institute is a snappy title. Okay, great, yeah. Um, and so what kind of work goes on there? Uh, so it was set up, um, I think it started in 2010, so it's in a second round of five-year funding. Mm. Um, it was set up to be a multidisciplinary uh, institute researching Although digital economy is in the name, it was always really digital society. At least that's how it seemed from the inside. Um, it was actually very... I mean, at one point there was... I mean, there have been some business study people involved. Um, I think they would love to have got some economists involved, but didn't manage to get the attention of any. Um, but primarily the work there has been between uh, a mix of um, computer science primarily um, and then uh, sociologists themselves, um, psychologists, geographers, um, uh, engineering and, and human factors um, so so quite a mixed um, bag so it's really uh, looking at that kind of intersection between uh, well, at least your interest the, the inter- intersection between the social and the, and the technical the data uh, the exactly, systems yeah 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 yeah, yeah and, and just trying to work through some of the implications of um, these technologies particularly in in everyday life so kind of a typical horizon project is to uh, build some kit and then um, test it out in the wild um, and see where it leads, see where it goes wrong or, or work. <laughs> yeah, and so some of that stuff you've been looking at, so I, I, um, I heard you speak um, a really interesting uh, paper at the, at the British Sociological Association conference um, in spring 2017. And... Um, some of the work you were talking about there was where you'd, I think, you developed some some kit for that research to um, to kind of monitor uh, people's um, using the kind of location services on mobile phones, things like that, and and also monitoring their um, yeah. internet usage. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of um, a I mean I've seen it called different things, um, ethno mining or netography or um, I don't know augmented or ethnography or something you could call it. Um, but essentially using um, digital traces as a, a kind of a memory aid and a conversation prompt um, as part of a wider piece of ethnographic research. I mean, a lot of the, 
a lot of the areas we're interested in, I'm particularly interested in the home, and they're obviously they're difficult sites to um, observe for any length of time. Um, yeah. People are getting getting um, extended access to a home is difficult. Um, people are understandably uncomfortable with um, ongoing uh, filming, for example, in their own home. Um, and so having these technologies, essentially they're just um, capturing what is already captured on your devices anyway by um, Google, Apple, whatever. Um, but it's kind of inserting a, a, a layer between you and them and, and siphoning off some of the data that they're taking anyway. Um, so we captured data off people's um, phones and uh, desktops for uh, about eight weeks. Um, and then we presented it back to them in various ways. Um, as part of this project called user-centric networking, which was a, um, a technology-led project, uh, as, as these always are in Horizon. Um, I mean, that's where the, the money comes from. Yeah. The, the uh, research money is definitely directed that way. Um, I mean, as a sociologist, that's where one of the benefits of working in this area is, is that you get access to funding streams that just don't exist um, mm. more traditional sociology. Um, so, yeah, so UCN was interested in um, looking at doing, I guess you could call it smart networking, so the kind of technologies that sit behind the devices we interact with, but that allow um, us to connect to the wider world uh, that determine kind of stuff like the, the speed of our connection, the wireless connections, um, these elements that as, as kind of as infrastructures are invisible to us normally, um, and they've been designed as such. So, um, so we were interested in UCN in particular, the, the kind of overarching project interest was in whether you could um, put some uh, intelligence, if you like, in, in air quotes, um, behind the networking so it could do all this kind of clever, seamless stuff. So, uh, for example, you leave the house uh, and are watching a video on your phone and the systems learn that you go through a signal black spot so it pre-downloads pre a film so you can watch it seamlessly through that period. Uh, and then you walk in the door and it switches from your phone to your TV without you having to do anything. These kind of uh, technovisions. Um, but the, the challenge behind that from a, well, particularly from a, from a, from a sociological point of view and, and for a designer point of view, the challenge is there is, is that you need to be able to understand social context, which is incredibly difficult for these technologies. Yeah. Um, and that's where uh, my interest in, in the, the work that you saw and um, that well, I guess we'll be talking about today, that's where my interest came from. Uh, around how are these technologies? Um, well, partly this is, this is a story about the the kind of um, the visions behind these technologies as in what they'll do, um, particularly in the smart home, which I'm focusing on. Um, but how they can actually achieve that uh, when it's such a delicate uh, and nuanced space, the home. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so there is a sort of a, a commercially driven research agenda as part of this would that be right yeah absolutely so the, so the projects i've worked on have been uh i mean they've been kind of pre-market deployment but they've been kind of yeah. working on prototypes that would uh that yes would certainly have commercial applications so for example ucn there was an idea there about um whether you could kind of collect data from people's broad network activities uh to recommend them content so rather than mm. So at the moment, we have devices which track us and collect data about us. Um, if this took place, the level of the network rather than the device and the dream is that you could capture wider data, um, a device yeah. on its own. So, so, so Google see a slice of our activities. Apple see another slice. Um, mm. 
so it's um so so that's the vision um that that uh, is used at least in part to tempt funding because uh obviously yeah. this is commercial impact is a very big sell to funding yeah. these days yeah absolutely um yeah so um <clears throat> but your interest in it of course uh, is is more on the kind of the ethnolog um uh, ethnographic level um yeah. i think and um uh, when I saw you talk, and you spoke about some some really interesting examples from your research um, of the the kinds of the kinds of data you got and, and the ways in which people negotiated their um, relationships with um, sort of with the, with their data when it was presented back to them uh, and and with each other with other members of their family. Yeah. Um, uh, so could you could you say something a bit about how that kind of process uh, happens? So do do you see um, in terms of the, the data, kind of sits between uh, sits, sort of sits between people, um, or kind of um, negotiates their relationships, or something else. Yeah. Um, so, so it's what we actually. Uh, so my my own bit of that project was uh, the study was presenting this data that we captured off their devices back to people, um, and as groups rather than individuals. Oh, we, we did some individuals as well, but um, so there's a study, I keep saying we, there's a study in France um, that my colleague Peter Tommy did, and I did a mirrored one here with about uh, a dozen participants in each, um, although some of these participants were families rather than individuals. Um, so we'd presented back to them. The idea was that we were interested in, um, if you had this kind of smart networking technology and you've got this data being captured in the house, how can you get um, situated intelligence into it? So essentially the idea if you want to do these clever things then the expertise is the is the user themselves or the users um so how do you get them involved in it when you've got this uh huge quantities of data in it and it is data it's not information it's not meaningful mm. uh to a non-expert how do, how do you um or what happens actually when you present data in that form so we presented it back to them in various ways um from quite basic kind of kind of line graphs, charts and stuff, um, through to kind of uh, logs of URLs, um, a tool that showed where they were um, in the world when they accessed particular services and stuff like that. Um, and we're interested in and the kind of sense-making process they went through um, individually um, and as groups. Uh, and this got me interested, watching the group work, got me interested in how these technologies, what they would mean for um, accountability between members of a setting because they, they radically change potentially what is observable um, of others' actions uh, and at which point um, once an action becomes observable to others in the setting um, you can be held accountable for it. Um, so we're interested in, in that process of, of um, giving an account how, how, the, how the data becomes meaningful information through these, through these interactions. Yeah, I think that's what I found particularly uh, fascinating is um, the, the way the data reveals, uh, reveals things uh, to people about their lives and then they make sense of it. Um, yeah. So they see these traces kind of presented back to them, which they, um, it, it, I think in a lot of cases, they, uh, they wouldn't have, um, they wouldn't have ever seen necessarily. Because of course our, our devices do present certain traces back to us uh, in certain ways, but they're very much mediated and, and kind of filtered. Um, yeah. So um, what kinds of data were people seeing that was uh, perhaps new to them or, or that they wouldn't have otherwise seen? So uh, I guess it's the, well, first I should say as, as a background, the reason why um, 
so the reason why we were presenting this data back to people, as you say, um, currently we, we don't see a lot of this data. It, it goes to um, service providers up in the yeah. cloud somewhere, um, and we don't see it. But there's a couple of changes, and one of them is um, particularly technology around smart home, but Internet of Things more broadly, capturing all this data. And a lot of services are now being sold on the basis of presenting data back to us in various ways. So, for example... Um, at, at, at the um, the BSA this year where you saw me speak, we had someone else talking about uh, these smart weighing scales which sell themselves as yeah. um, kind of doing family fitness so they share health information between members of the family um, that is collected from the, the scales and from other devices, kind of Fitbit type devices. Um, so that data is being captured now and shared. There's also moves by um, the other key change which is on the horizon is that policymakers are becoming nervous about low trust in the digital economy because they have great hopes for the commercial benefits um, in it and they're, they're worried about all this data being um, captured and potentially abused in some way and some kind of moral panic perhaps emerging around uh, what is being captured um, and how it's being looked after and so they're, they're pushing for this kind of uh, move towards greater transparency um, and essentially what they're doing is they're trying to respond to fears about people's personal data. Um, mm -hmm. And by making it more transparent, more visible to the user, they open up challenges around um, interpersonal data. So this yeah. is data that is captured around groups rather than individuals. Um, and the, the, the Internet of Things by its nature captures quite a lot of interpersonal data, particularly in a home, because if you've got sensors embedded in an environment rather than a particular device which is, is attached to one person, then... Uh, it becomes quite quickly difficult to see whose data it is, who it concerns. Um, and so in that way, suddenly, to take one example, um, uh, electricity consumption. So uh, if you have fine-grained electricity data consumption about your house, then you can see who's doing, are using what devices in what room at what time. Um, and if you've got local knowledge of that space, then you can actually you could build up a very detailed picture of activities based on that um, that would previously have been invisible to you. I mean, uh, an obvious uh, to kind of ground this, uh, if, if, if your child is, is using a device, uh, if you send them to bed and they're supposed to be asleep, and uh, you could quite quickly find out, either through, um, I mean, if it's, if, it's, if it's wired in a plug, then you could see an energy trace, or if it's uh, using the internet, you could see a data trace yeah. that would reveal this. Um, there was a question there that I haven't answered yet, and I've forgotten what it was. Um, yeah, no, so I think it was, it was about... I think I, 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 I've forgotten now. Um, <laughs> no, well, it, it was. I think it was about some of the the examples. Um, yeah. Uh, some of the, the the kind of concrete examples. I mean, some of the things that uh, certainly that I remembered uh, was um, around kind of uh, uh, gambling um, gambling sites kind of popping up uh, on the records um, of uh, I think of the uh, like the family computer. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it was one of them. Uh, which I thought was kind of interesting, and, and the way that that was negotiated by the participants. Yeah, so so some of this data has already been captured by traditional tech. So so this was this device was a shared family laptop, and we just captured the browsing history of that. So um, this was this could have been anyone in the house who'd who'd um, done this browsing, which created this record, um, and, and thus we consider it interpersonal data. So in this case. Um, it came up that uh, the, the, the URL list included some gambling sites. Mm. Um, and in that case, the father volunteered an account that it, was, uh, that it applied to him, but, they, but it wasn't him that had done it. 
Um, and the reason for this was that he was known to bet uh, once a week in a very kind of a ritualistic way. He bet one pound each Saturday um, on his uh, William Hill betting app. Um, and this, uh, this URL was recorded on, it was William Hill as well, but it was on the laptop. Mm. Um, and so uh, because other people in the house, most importantly his wife, knew that he used this William Hill app, he felt the need to kind of um, respond to this uh, claim, yeah. but at the same time deny it. Um, and in his denial, he ends up talking about how um, uh, well, it's suggested that this is the result of advertising pop-ups. Yeah. Um, and and then the account goes on to be about um, blocking pop-ups in order to protect the child. So we have mm. this kind of, um, it goes from this uh, kind of possible transgression of the moral order to a defense of it by showing how um, the mother and father, and they, they develop this account tomorrow together, um, are, are protecting the, their son from possible exposure to stuff he shouldn't see. Yeah. Um, and I, sh- I should point out that another thing that's interesting in that is, is that almost certainly, I mean, we can't know for sure, but almost, I mean, my interpretation of it as the, as the interviewer, as the ethnographer, was that um, he was telling the truth. This was a... Uh, sure, yeah. we'd, we'd, we'd captured yeah. adverts there. Um, and that opens up another interesting thing about this, which is that uh, this, uh, these technologies aren't infallible by any means. They make a lot of mistakes, and they also mm. capture things which can be misinterpreted. So there was uh, a gambling URL visited, but there's no reason to... Uh, there's, there's several ways in which it could have not been a human that did that action. Yeah. Um, uh, and the danger is that... Uh, once you start presenting that data back to people, particularly if it's the wrong piece of data in the wrong context, then um, uh, it could be linked to um, uh, something else that's going on in the house and become quite a problematic issue. So we had uh, a piece of location trace, location tracking, which which claimed that um, a father had been at a hotel in town all day when he was supposed to be at work. And (laughs) thankfully his wife didn't... um, didn't take it seriously um, because in a troubled relationship that could have been a sure you know, yeah, yeah, yeah if you found out your partner was at a hotel rather than yeah, work, yeah. you'd have questions of course um, but there's so much of this data being captured that even if it's making even if its error rate is very small uh, there's, there's, there's still so much potential uh, for for um, accidental mischief there I guess uh, yeah it seems like there's um a good or possibly really bad um, sort of uh, farce TV series to be made about, <laughs> um, <laughs> about the um, misunderstandings of, uh, uh, of GPS data or something similar. Uh, uh, surely, yeah, yeah, that's the feature of the family sitcom. Yeah, or, or another very dark episode of Black Mirror, perhaps. But, oh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, absolutely. I, I think, yeah, and the, the, the way that you've, uh, managed to kind of weave together the kind of the, the technical aspects and and these ne- sort of negotiations of them uh, is really fascinating. Um, and but to do that, you've kind of you've drawn on particularly on on uh, on Zimmel and Goffman, uh, I believe, uh, yeah. from a theoretical angle. So um, Goffman was it, it, that, to some extent is kind of the, the obviously the presentation of the self kind of idea, but more mm, specifically yeah. to do with kind of marking. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't say um, it was a deliberate strategy from the outset because this paper kind of uh, developed because originally we were interested in how kind of sense was made around these accounts, and then it was only accidentally that it was only as, 
as these kind of stories came out around like uh, gambling and hotels, I got mm. interested in how um, uh, privacy, cause, because when we designed the project, we didn't expect people to reveal uh, stuff that they didn't want revealed. So we put a lot of no. tools in. I mean, obviously we got ethics clearance and, and we put tools in deliberately to give people the means of avoiding surveillance if they didn't want to be surveilled. Um, but mm. what we found in a lot of these cases, um, I mean, there's partly an issue about people not perhaps realizing what was being captured, um, which could have been an issue in some cases, but um, certainly in our study, it was more often than not, uh, it was other things being captured or it was errors that were being captured that, that only became sensitive if they were read in a particular context. Um, uh, where was I? <laughs> uh, yeah, Goffman. Goffman. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, I was reading Goffman at the same time and... Um, uh, yes, yeah, so his treatment of um, territories of the South is, is really useful for making mm. sense of the kind of privacy claims that go on here. Um, I mean, uh, when we deal with digital technologies, uh, we, so in the last kind of 20 years of dealing with digital technologies, we're very much focused on issues around personal data. Um, and uh, that works for a lot of the time currently because we deal with devices uh, that capture our data as an individual if we're using our mm -hmm. phone. Um, it's quite easy to eliminate, eliminate what we do. Um, it's occasionally problematic in terms of, for example, social media. Uh, uh, if you tag someone else in a photo then uh, on Facebook, then who's, who has control of that picture? Does the, the person tagged have the right to remove it? Uh, at what point does it become... I mean, if it's... If it's uh, I mean, it'd be interesting to look at the recent uh, documents that were leaked around Facebook's... Um, yeah. decision making because there's all kinds of questions there about at what point um, if it's classified as revenge porn then it's removable but if it's for example if you took a picture of someone legally but it was kind of a stalky picture so you hadn't taken it with their consent mm. uh, would would that be removable um, who, who owns the right to, to do that so um, so so Goffman's treatment was particularly interesting I think because he really he really focuses on what I think is the key issue here which is uh well, firstly, the incredible complexity of uh, uh, how we create our personal space around us. Now, this works on a number of levels, and I focused in the paper on the informational level. But obviously, there's there's lots of other levels as well. But the uh, the physical, our, our sense of kind of physical boundaries is uh, an obvious one. But um, I focused on the informational boundaries that we draw, uh, and I think uh, Goffman really nails it in in terms of addressing the the issue of negotiation being key. So what yeah. really matters is, is not um, where a boundary is drawn between yourself and another um, or how it's given up. Because, of course, I mean, surrendering boundaries between us is a key marker of uh, intimacy. Yeah. Um, but it's, what's really key is that negotiation that goes on, that it's willing. Um, and uh, if it's not, it's, it's, it's a form of domination. Um, and in the technology context, this is interesting because these technologies in trying to be seamless and effortless and invisible and just to work and make our lives easier, they've pursued a policy of being, um, of, of hiding the negotiations from us. They just, uh, their algorithms decide what happens. Uh, and we have very little input into, um, often no input into how this happens. So, um, I mean, I was reading a paper about uh, people who had the Nest thermostat. Nest were bought by Google, so they had a yeah. the smart thermostat that um, that claimed to monitor the home, learn about its patterns, and then you know control your boiler accordingly to heat it as as, as needed. Mm. Uh, and there was this, but this paper was talking about how people are actually uh, 
struggling with Nest because it hid all its decision making and the data it captured. Uh, and so you never really knew why it was doing a certain thing. And if, uh, if there was a one-off event, say, uh, so uh, the example I talk about is if, if, if a grandparent comes to visit and you need the house warmer for a few days, because mm. that's what they are used to, how does Nest know about that? Yeah. Um, and these technologies currently give you no way of, of getting into them and looking at that. Um, so how does that negotiation around um, boundaries take place? Uh, and if it does take place, how on earth do you do it in a way which is, uh, not so incredibly complex that the user is instantly put off and the kind of the sales pitch of these technologies around convenience um, is kind of negated by the the um, management you have to do of them. Yeah, and so I, I thought the, um, I think that, that relationship between boundaries is, is really interesting and um, from reading and listening to your work, um, in the research you've done, it seemed like those boundaries were fairly kind of were fairly open in a lot of ways. People were kind of fairly openly seem to be talking about these data. But of course, you said that you know people could have um, were able to be the participants were able to be in control of what data was was collected anyway to a large extent. But yeah. um, at the same time, people are quite protective over their on a not necessarily on the level of data in the way that you're talking about it but people can be quite protective over just their, their say their smartphones and having uh, allowing people to look at what's on them and it's the the one of the, i think one of the um modern world's kind of um most often broken taboos is sort of reading someone's um smartphone over their shoulder yeah. on the train kind of thing which probably everyone's do- I've, I've done before uh, probably shouldn't do but um, yeah. it's almost impossible not to do sometimes but you would uh, it, it would be see- heavily frowned upon at least um and obviously that's in the context of a stranger but many people would not be too keen on anyone really looking uh, even someone they know kind of looking at what they're doing on their phone while they're doing it. Um, do you think that there's been a, um, a, a kind of an increase or, or in, in, we often talk about people are overshare today, but actually has there been a certain kind of um, shoring up of, of kind of personal privacy around your kind of communications perhaps in that way or... Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I can't say at the moment I've got a view on it. Um, no. I mean, once I start the, so um, I was lucky enough to get a fellowship to look at this for the next three years, and I'm in a position now yeah. where at the end of the summer, I'm the first stage is to do a really thorough lit review that I haven't had the chance to do, unfortunately, yet. So I don't really, I, I can't speak to what the um, the wider literature says mm-hmm. of, of uh, how this has developed historically. It's an interesting question. Um, as you say, there is this kind of, um, this kind of common sense idea that, that people have become... Uh, far more open um but i mean if you take a, a kind of longer historic view then when people were living you know 10 people to a room and still are in many societies yeah. today um are we really more open than they were mm. um it's just it's manifest in different ways and negotiated in different ways i think um yeah i mean this 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 subject got me on to so you, you mentioned uh we we referenced zim also uh yeah. I thought his work on discretion was particularly interesting because it, it was a key uh, element to understanding how this technology was conditioned to the to the home. So uh, it's easy to read these technologies as kind of um, having potential for 
uh, abuse and kind of quite sinister surveillance and the hierarchies in any shared space, um, particularly in a home. Um, well, I mean, it applies to workplace, workplace as well. But um, within a home, you have obviously, obviously these hierarchies. Um, and uh, these, these technologies um, c- could be used for quite pervasive surveillance. But um, we saw also in the study how um, the, the watcher is accountable as well as the watched. So um, at, at times, participants expressed disquiet about the fact that they could see um, particular things in, the, in this data, the fact that they, as a watcher, were, were looking at them. So uh, one, one parent um, talked about how she could, uh, there was kind of some sensing uh, room detection technology, which allowed to see when the bathroom was being used. And she's talking about how she's uncomfortable being able to see, into, I mean, not literally see into the space, but um, see when her children were using the toilet mm. and how that, that didn't fit with the, um, the existing uh, norms in the home around, uh, around private spaces, mm. which the bathroom is one. Uh, and Simul talks a bit about Simul, sorry, talks a bit about um, uh, how discretion exists to to manage these challenges. I mean, he actually uses it in quite a limited manner um, in his treatment, but um, I think it certainly applies to the home uh, in terms of kind of tempering the abuse of these technologies. Uh, certainly, in in a in a family environment which uh, allows for trust between members, then. Um, I mean, you can certainly imagine uh, unpleasant situations around, for example, domestic violence, where mm-hmm. um, these technologies would be very open to abuse. Um, but uh, in less um, in less problematic houses, um, then then yeah, they are they are subject to um, limits on uh, what is considered uh, acceptable. Um, and and uh, so there's a there's an example um, in in Dana Boyd's book about um, kids using social media of a teenager who uh, gives his parents access to his passwords. I think he's 15. Um, they have access to his passwords, but it's on the trust that they only look if there's some kind of unspecified emergency. Mm. Um, so that's a, perhaps a more realistic uh, or a more common, I should say. Um, uh, kind of uh, man- management that's negotiated between uh, members of the setting that we, that we might start to see in a kind of more surveilled house uh, of, the, of the future. Absolutely. And we're, we're moving into a context politically where you might need to give up your uh, social media passwords just to enter the United States. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and maybe even in this country as well, in some contexts. Um, and, but I think that all these issues of trust are probably are going to be interconnected. As you mentioned, when we first started talking um, about um, trust, obviously is an issue for the um, for corporations, for companies who uh, um, and for governments who who want us to engage with these kinds of technologies. Um, but our, I'm, I can imagine, on a kind of an interpersonal level, our negotiation of that kind of trust on that kind of state or commercial level is going to be kind of intermingled and intermixed with. Uh, our notice of trust within the household or within personal relationships uh, and these kinds of situations as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, it's one of the interesting things I think about um, thinking about interpersonal data is that actually, although uh, a lot of attention is given to privacy in terms of uh, what uh, the kind of Silicon Valley corpse can see about us and what the state can spy on us, um, a lot of um, 
a lot of public attention is directed towards that. Um, a, a lot of expertise is, uh, weighs in on that matter. Um, but actually, if you ask, if you speak to people around their their concerns in everyday life, they see these. Um, I mean, I'm generalising, obviously, but but their concerns aren't. Uh, those those kind of fears about being spied upon and um, what Google does with your data are very abstract. And what people do worry about, or what they do experience in, in everyday life, is concerns about, um, you know, what a potential boss might see about them on Facebook, or yeah. uh, uh, a partner might see, or an ex-partner, or whatever. Um, it's, it's that data in in personal context um, that's more problematic, uh, and that's obviously the issue. Um, in the home, but as you say, there are there are overlaps, and and there's also obviously I don't want to diminish the issue of um, uh, privacy between an individual and and uh, institutions because uh, although people might not see that as an everyday concern, that doesn't mean they shouldn't be worried about it. No, um, but, but I do I do think as a as a kind of research community, we perhaps haven't. I mean, maybe because the technologies aren't so much there yet, um, but we haven't focused on issue more of um, privacy between members of the saying rather than between members and those outside it. Sure. That's been really uh, fascinating. Thanks for talking to me um, and good luck with um, well the next three years of your research which is kind of set up now. Yeah, um, yeah, thank you. No worries. Yeah, yeah, and um, I look forward to hearing more about it and maybe we'll be able to have a chat again in the future. Great, thanks a lot Chris. Thanks a lot. Bye. Cheers. Bye.